what he came up with what there was that there were three appeals that we needed to achieve. We needed to appeal to three different parts or arguments or gosh, motivations. A psychologist calls them the three motivational appeals now. That if we achieve those three, we can persuade. And they're broken down into ethos, pathos, and logos. It's time to get inside your own head. Begin with the psychology behind your behaviors and fuse it with an acute understanding of self-awareness, emotion, storytelling, body language, and more. Then look at it all through the lens of the latest neuroscience research, broken down to its most digestible form. And you've arrived. Enhanced messaging, deeper connection, heightened influence, and a greater impact on the world. Welcome to the neuroside of influence and leadership with Renee Rodriguez. And welcome back to another episode of the Neuroside of Influence and Leadership podcast. And today we're going to talk about something that if you've ever been to any one of my courses uh, around Amplify, if you uh, are reading the book or have gotten the book, you know that Aristotle's rhetorical triangle is kind of at a centerpiece of our conversation. And so I want to talk about that today, and I want to kind of dive deep into it and talk about different applications, where it comes from, how to think about it, and really just talk about why it's such a critical component, and also talk about the forgotten too, because we've got the three ethos, pathos, logos, and I want to talk about kairos and telos as well. And I think I say those right, telos, telos, because those elements are such at such a core. And I think what's interesting is that I, when I bring up ethos, pathos, and logos to people, almost everybody says, yeah, I've heard of them. But most people don't know what they mean. And, and I remember when I first heard them, I was like, okay, they sound familiar. But I, spending years with those concepts and years in applying them, it, it still fascinates me how there's still so much room to learn their application. And the concept behind them is kind of goes back to this. So Aristotle was the first person to talk about argumentative thought 2,000 years ago. Think about that, 2,000 years ago. And argumentative thought back then, how to create an argument was mostly in a written word. How do you craft an argument? It wasn't about arguing with somebody. It was just like making a case for something, like a debate. And what he came up with what there was that there were three appeals that we needed to achieve. We needed to appeal to three different parts or arguments or gosh, motivations. A psychologist calls them the three motivational appeals now. That if we achieve those three, we can persuade. And they're broken down into ethos, pathos, and logos. And so ethos is your credibility. And so ethos is a, is a used term a lot in branding. People talk about it in branding. People talk about it in the essence of things. We talk about it in, uh, gosh, there's, there's so many different forms, but the, the, the form that I want to talk about it is in, in the concept of credibility and character. We're going to dabble in it a little bit in understanding what we mean by essence, so the essence of who you are, but I want to talk about it in the simplistic, what's my credibility and character? And so the easiest way to understand it is look at the opposite, right? What if I were to do a course on the menstrual cycle? Or if you know me, I'm bald, a course on how to grow rich and thick, thick hair. 
you'd probably say, well, Renee, you don't have any credibility in teaching those courses. One, you're not a female, so you've never had a menstrual cycle. And two, you don't have any hair. So teaching a course on how to grow hair, you just don't have any credibility. Another way of saying that is I don't have any ethos there. Would you take advice from somebody who was overweight on how to lose weight? No, probably wouldn't. Somebody who didn't have any money was broke on how to make money. And the answer is no. And so that's this, this is where that comes into play where we watch people who come to us with a quote-unquote business opportunity and we're watching them. They're new in the business. Maybe it's a network marketing idea or some sort and they just got real excited about it and they're coming to us presenting this idea and immediately we begin to cringe. And a lot of that comes down to this concept of ethos. There's no credibility there. And whenever we feel like there's a lack of credibility, a lack of ethos, a lack, another way, is lack of integrity in a, a harsher way of putting it, we can't buy in. And so we, there's, a, there's a lot of depth into understanding this concept of ethos. When we, we talk to our clients coming into understanding influence, we begin by how do we establish and build this foundation of ethos? What's your lane? Who are you? Where are you most credible? And a lot of people struggle in the beginning if they, if they don't have any business experience or maybe they're coming right out of school or maybe they failed at something and their, their ethos took a hit or maybe they had some sort of issue in the marketplace. But the ethos piece is one of the places that I like to begin. And so what's interesting is that ethos and pathos happen in two ways. One of them is through content and the other way is through delivery. And so we're going to break that down a little bit too. And so let's talk about ethos for a minute on how do you create ethos. Let's, who has ethos? Well, doctors, one of the reasons why we trust doctors is because they went through the schooling and the training and, and the credible ways to be certified to give advice in certain areas and that they have ethos in that. And so the title of doctor for most people is a credible source and a place of ethos. Now, there are some people that don't trust doctors, and so they don't see them as having ethos, which is another interesting concept that we're going to talk about, too, is who owns your ethos. And so, yeah, we're going to come back to that. But so doctors typically have ethos. And so let's say, how do I grow my ethos? So writing a book, writing an article. This is one of the reasons why we push people to get on stage, because being on stage there's something magical that happens of instant credibility. Now, whether you maintain that credibility after you start speaking, is that's the second part of it, but the one that you've been chosen to be on stage, there's a pre-selection sort of component dynamic there that says that you've been selected, you've, of all the choices we have in the world, there's a group of people that have the, had the resources and had the income to choose and the means to choose and they selected you Therefore, you must be bringing value. Therefore, you must be credible. And there's the ethos. Now, if you go on stage and you're no good, then you lose your ethos, which goes back to the question of who owns your ethos. And here's a hint. It's not you. We don't own our ethos. Our audience does. And think about it. Most people, a lot of people, when we first talk about it, they think, well, I own my ethos. I'm in control of it. You're not. Because if you've ever seen somebody that you're excited to see speak and they have ethos with you, but then they bomb or they're arrogant or you don't like them, you just pull the ethos back and say, wow, that was terrible. And maybe you write a bad review, killing their ethos. And so it's critical 
to understand that, especially as you're entering this world of wanting to be more influential, to hold on to the fact that you don't own your ethos. And that's, a, that's really important because it does several things. Once people understand the, the, the power of growing ethos, it becomes what I tell people, some people, is it can, can become addicting because it is a source of power. When you see that you can say things and people listen, it can be reinforcing, it can feel good. But you cannot lose sight of the fact that it is a privilege that your audience is giving you. And it is a great way to keep yourself in check, to remind yourself that this is not something you own, this is something you have to continually earn. There's a great quote out there that says that you know success is rented and, and uh, rents due every day. Well, it's kind of the same thing with ethos, I think. It's rented and you have to pay the rent every day. You have to continually earn it. And the moment we get complacent with our ethos is the moment we start to lose it. But then there's another really cool thing too where the moment you have it, it's a great opportunity to give it back to those that gave it to you, creating space for others to shine. There's another whole lesson in influence and leadership is not just about what we say, but how do you create a space for others to shine, which further grows your ethos, by the way. It's another way of being more credible, not just saying, okay, Renee or whoever the leader has all the right words, but wow, when this such and such leaders around, we all feel better. We all communicate, seem to communicate better. We all seem to feel more successful. Well, that's a leader that has given back and created a space for others to feel successful, giving back the ethos. And so it becomes a self-perpetuating thing when you sort of accept that. So ethos is, I think, one of the most important things. You go into the world of the influencer, right? The social media influencer. They're all on the search for ethos and credibility through likes and vanity metrics and the blue check mark and buying uh, followers. And can you, in the past, it was sort of this cool thing. Could you swipe up? And now everybody gets the link. And so that took that away. And, you know, how many followers do you have and how much influence do you have on social media? And, oh, man, I mean, it just, it's, it's fascinating for me to watch this process sort of unfold where people have decided to be an influencer when they haven't, quote unquote, done anything yet. And I know that sounds a little harsh. Is it possible for you to influence without you having achieved any financial success? Yes, 100%. That, that is the world that we live in. And even, you know, forget financial success, any sort of other success. Yes. Do we have to be weary about that? Yes, I think we have to be. Do I know people that are doing great things that haven't achieved some sort of business success? Yes, 100%. But I think that the world, it's going to start filtering itself out as time goes on. People are going to, we're going to start seeing who truly is adding value. At the end of the day, to me, value always wins. No matter who you are, what color skin you have, what gender you are, value at the end of the day is what wins. It's a beautiful accounting system that happens to be out there. Whether you believe that or not, it is reality. The marketplace is, uh, is reality. It does exist whether we like it or not. And so ethos, your credibility, your character. It's also the essence of who you are. But I don't want to get into that yet because identifying your ethos is, is, is a really powerful exercise that I think at some point I want to bring my good friend Josh Bletterman on here to, to talk about that because I think that would be a whole nother conversation of really identifying your ethos and what that is. But let's go into the second one, pathos. Okay, so doctors have ethos. They tell you you gotta lose weight and exercise more, but then we say, great, doc, thanks, we'll start next week. Well, why didn't we start right away? Because, I mean, 
if we got to lose weight, doc has ethos, why, why didn't we start right away? Well, because they don't have pathos. Pathos is the emotional appeal, right? We have to be, you have to be credible, but did you trigger any emotional appeal? Our emotions are what drive behavior, drive action. And at the end of the day, influence is about influencing behavior and action. And so you can see how important pathos is in this equation. It's critical. You can be very credible and I can just go, wow, that was powerful. And I can go back to exactly how I was before and no influence has occurred. And so we have to have the appropriate amount of pathos involved here too. We have to be able to trigger the emotion, the reason, the passion, something that triggers me to want to take a step and an action forward. And that's where pathos comes into play. And pathos, is, it plays big in the change management process too because for people to make personal change, it isn't about logic, which would be logos, by the way. Logos is the logical appeal, which is critical. Logos has gotten a bad rap over the years. And, oh, it's, we're not just logical beings. Logic is critical. It's huge. We just put too much emphasis on it for so many years and we ignored the pathos element. And now in a more public world, where everything is visible and transparency isn't an option. Let me say that again. Transparency isn't an option anymore. We have to now look at where ethos plays in and then logic has to play a role as well as pathos, the emotional appeal. And so let's kind of run through. So ethos is the things like your argument, uh, the benefits, the facts, the figures, the data, the numbers, the statistics, the scientific research, the processes, the product characteristics. Those are all logos, by the way, the logical pieces, logic, arguments, facts, all that stuff. The ethos from a content perspective are personal anecdotes, client testimonials, success stories, track record, titles, you know, if you've written a book or not, or if you've, uh, you're the one on stage, those kinds of things. But now ethos also happens in delivery. So you can have all of those content pieces, but you also have eye contact, body language, your vocal inflections and your poise, how you carry yourself, your presence. And so if you come across as being a doctor and have all the accolades, you wrote the book, but you come in and you can't make eye contact and you're, you're hunched over and, and you, 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 you're speaking quietly and you, you don't have much confidence in your voice, you're starting to lose the ethos because the delivery was off. So it happens in content as well as in delivery. So you have to have both of those elements there. And so I know a lot of people that have all the ethos content, but wow, they missed the boat when it came in delivery. And so pathos has content and delivery as well. Content would be the ability to tell stories and positive and negative emotions like frustrations, anger, love, respect, all the things that sort of trigger emotions. But in delivery, it would be things like coherence, right? Like congruence, body language, voice are or congruent with the specific content. We want congruency. Like somebody saying, here's an incongruent statement with, with content and delivery. I'm really excited to be here. So the content, I'm really excited to be here, says I'm excited to be here. But the delivery does not show any level of excitement. I'm really excited to be here. And all of a sudden that sounds that way. Now that almost now that I kind of hear myself say it, it almost sounded fake, <laughs> which by the way, we have to be cautious of too. But you know, showing that pathos in the authentic voice inflection is what the body's picking up. And so here we go with ethos, pathos, and logos. 
and pathos and ethos in content and delivery. So then, again, who owns your ethos? It's not you. It's your audience. And so how, how do you put all these together? Because we're going to talk about Kairos and Telos in a little bit here. But how do these come together? Because we're trying to think about the concept of influence. We're trying to think about uh, persuasion. We're thinking about how do we bring an idea from me to my audience, whether it be a new vision, uh, a new way of working, whether it be a product, whether it be who knows what it is. It's this world that moves forward through the communication of ideas. And business is about communicating ideas, selling products and services to one another. Management is about the idea of change. How do I get people to act and behave differently? We're at the end of the year, entering 2022. Of course, what does that mean? Change, new resolutions, which most are abandoned by February 1st. <laughs> so, you know, how do we maintain all of that? And as leaders, how do we maintain the focus of our group with new strategy and new direction and, and new pressures coming around us? And so these are things that, you know, come back to, again, how do we influence in a world that people need leaders that have ethos and can trigger the appropriate pathos with a logical plan? If you listen to, uh, I think it was our last podcast, it was uh, actually number 10, podcast 10, how to create a leadership brand. That was very similar to, I mean, that had a lot to do with ethos, right? Because your leadership brand, not just your personal brand, but your leadership brand is, is really the essence of who you are. What do you believe, right? What, what is it that you believe? So I'm, I'm, it just shocks me of how many leaders haven't explored what they believe. They, they're so task focused. What has to get done? Execute, 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 which is great, by the way. But what do they believe? Because the people that if we're, if we've got talent issues and people that have choices of where they work, and you're trying to maintain and, and retain talent, and all you're thinking about are tasks, you're going to miss people because you haven't connected. People are going to connect with the belief system. They're going to because that's where the, the belief system is a reflection of values, and the values are where the connection happens. People join churches not because of the tasks; they join churches because of the underlying belief systems that are aligned and connected to values. And then, because those values are connected, the tasks bring me closer to those values. They're the manifestation of those values, and it's no different in business. What does the business believe? What does my leader believe? And then do those tasks bring me closer to those beliefs? Because now I have a sense of purpose. And so I'm hoping you're starting to see the, the importance of this because there's, there's so many applications of these concepts. It's not just in setting vision, because, but it, I mean, that's a critical one. But you've got to have ethos. If you're selling a product, let's say you're brand new and you believe you have no ethos. I've worked with, People coming, students coming straight out of college, and they go, "Well, I have no ethos. I'm brand new." I'm like, "Well, how many have you been alive?" They said, "Yeah." I said, "I've been alive for 21 years." I said, "Great. What have you done for 21 years?" Well, well I played baseball. I said, "Did this? I did sports." I said, "Great. Were you good at sports? You showed up." I said, "Well, I wasn't. Didn't do well, but did you work hard?" Yeah, I worked my tail off every year. I said, "Well, you have ethos and hard work. You have ethos and hard work and consistency." And so part of that is identify, what did you believe? Why did you go into the gym? Well, I went into the gym because I knew that I didn't have the same, one kid told me, I didn't have the same genetics as everyone else. I wasn't as fast. I didn't have the same God-given talent. So I knew I had to work twice as hard as everyone else. But I made the team, but barely.
but I made the team. And see, now all of a sudden, that's an incredible story. See, I personally love hiring people that barely made the team because a lot of times those people had to work a lot harder than the ones that had the natural God-given talent that were just amazing. Now, I'm not saying those that were incredible didn't work hard. I'm not saying that at all. But there is something special about the person that didn't get much reward and just kept working and kept working, especially if you're dealing with salespeople. And you can tell somebody who is just eating, eating, you know what, for years and kept pushing and kept pushing. You know that they're going to be willing to eat some, you know what, the first couple of years in the sales job. And it's not going to be any harder than what they've already been doing. And so, and they understand metrics. They understand putting reps in and taking swings at bats, batting averages, whatever sport analogy you want to give it. But that's an ethos. I work hard. And then you get somebody, let's say they didn't play any sports, but they, they loved their family. All right. So tell me about your family. Oh, you know, we always had dinner together. Why? Well, it was our time to tell stories. And my father used to say X. I said, well, there's your ethos. It's family, community, and camaraderie and culture. And so you're here to do this. My father used to wake me up X, Y, and Z, or my mother used to, or I didn't have a father. So I'm looking to be coached and I'm coachable. You can find ethos anywhere. Your story is who you are. And so the, the biggest thing that I help people do is realize that doesn't stop first stop comparing your story to anyone you you, you can't do that the great quote this is comparison is the thief of joy it's i mean it's a thief of so many things it's it's a thief of everything you know comparison you know benchmarking in a business i think that's good but comparison of story wait i'll say this from a perspective Creating a sense of perspective, if you're having a bad day and you need perspective to realize your life isn't all that bad, you know what, a little comparison here and there is not bad. It gives you perspective, you know what, the world's pretty lucky. But when you're trying to compare yourself to other people's highlight reel, when you're looking at your worst day, that that doesn't do any good. That's just not realistic, there's no value in that, stop doing that. But everybody has a story. We just need to understand what the essence of who you are and what you believe, and that's the value. And the cool part is, is that everybody has that. We just have to articulate it. And it comes through your ethos, the essence, the credibility, your lane. And a lot of people, when they find themselves in this imposter syndrome, what I've come to find out is that they're just, they're imposters because they're out of their lane. At least they haven't articulated, verbalized accurately what their ethos is. And so they feel like they're imposters. And they're trying to act and behave like somebody they're not. They're trying to be professionals and experts when they're brand new. Well, I tell uh, somebody who's brand new, says, stop trying to pretend to be an expert and trying to think you have to be. You say, you know what, I'm new, and that's the best thing for you because I am hungry and I will work harder than anyone else. I may not have the answers, but I got a team that does, and I will find it faster than anyone else. So you tell me what you need, and I'm on your team. And all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, any entrepreneur loves a hardworking person that's gonna go after it. And so, there's there's a way to find and to frame when we're talking about framing all of those elements because there is value in it. But you got the authenticity is the most important piece. What is the value of being new? What's the value of being seasoned? What's the value of? I worked with Kimberly, who brand new in the business, who was a chef for 25, 30 years, felt like she had to start over. No, she was a chef. 
are you talking about? Bring 25, 30 years of, of putting ingredients together and running service kitchen. Now she's putting ingredients for service in, in, in her field. That's value. But just had to make the connections there. The rest is details. It's just some know-how and some product knowledge. But learning how to deal with people, learning how to listen, those are skill sets that don't go away. And so helping people get those connections, you got you to make sure you, you start seeing the connections of what your ethos is and where it is. Now, if you feel lost, then you got to start saying, well, what do I like? What, what, do I, what am I good at? What have I been doing? And if you say, well, I've been doing nothing, well, then I can't help you because you're choosing a negative view of what's going on. You're choosing that. And until you choose to see this differently, I'm of no help to you and most people aren't of any help to you. But you have to choose and opt in to say, okay, I don't know what I'm seeing and I'm good at, but I wanna to try to find it. There's the attitude. You will find what you search for. If you seek, you shall find. I think that was written somewhere, kind of important. But it's true, we will find what we look for. And so the question is, what are you gonna look for? That's the pessimist view, right? The pessimist will find the negative every time. You search for the negative, you'll find it. You also find the positive if you search for it. Everybody has that story. So <clears throat> now, the pathos piece. A lot of my clients come that are brilliant business people, just don't know how to tell a story. A lot of men lack pathos. A lot of successful women have tried to adopt masculine uh, ways of doing business and have let their pathos go. And we have to draw it back out. But when we talk about pathos is just sometimes having compassion and empathy in the voice, being able to slow down and tell a story, add a smile and a pause to really reflect. But what I've come to find out is that when helping somebody find their pathos is at first helping them reconnect with their story. They have to reconnect with it. And if they can connect with their story, we can connect with their story. If they can't connect with their story, we can't connect with their story. And the hard part about that is, and let's see if you can follow me on this. A lot of the, the, the skill, not, not the skill, the coping tool that a lot of people who have been through hell in their life, which is to get through it, they have a short memory around adversity. They don't dwell on it. That is a good skill. They have short memory around adversity. They just, they, something negative happens, they just, okay, whatever, and they move on. They don't dwell on it. Now, that's a really good skill. The challenge is when they're trying to recall how they got somewhere, they don't recall the negative. They only recall the positive, which isn't truthful. <laughs> Oh, yeah, everything's great. We put our mind to it. We just accomplished what we wanted. Well, they forgot about the six times they failed, the two times they went bankrupt, the time that they almost lost their family, and the X, Y, and X, Y, and X, Y, and Z, right? And they're like, and I remind them, of, they go, I'm like, oh, so everything was super easy? Like, and they smile like, no. I'm like, then why did you tell me a story as if it was everything was perfect? And they kind of just have this look of like, I, I don't know. I'm like, well, here's the thing. We have to go back and share the struggle. But again, the trait of a very successful person is they have a very short memory span or memory, memory around those negative uh, adverse moments. And so it is a difficult task to go back and revisit those pieces that create the pathos. The pathos is the emotional side. 
And then what ends up happening, this is where it's difficult, is that when you go back and revisit the difficult times of something you have repressed or pushed away for so long, guess what? It gets emotional. It's difficult. Some people cry. And some people don't want to do that in front of people. But you know what? Here's the thing. It's 2022. Crying's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's actually needed. And if you haven't figured that out, I don't know what century you live in, but crying is an okay thing. And the world needs a little compassion. Men do cry, and crying is a strength. If you haven't figured that out, empathy is a superpower. Okay, so if this is news to you, then, then, then you need to keep listening, okay? But crying is okay. Now, sobbing at the wrong time, it's just might be the wrong club to pull out. And so that's why you do this work before you're at, at, in the actual job. To me, I tell people it's like skipping practice and then showing up for game time to do what you should have practiced, right? You don't use game time for practice. And so you need to learn to tell those stories, explore the difficult times, explore the struggle to develop the pathos in your storytelling ability uh, before it's game time. And so a lot of people come through Amplify and they'll explore those stories and they're like, God, how do I tell the story without getting so emotional? I go, you do it like you're doing right now. This is game time. This is not game time. This is practice. And so get through it now, let it all out now so that when it comes time, you're in front of your, your actual audience, you don't have the same level of emotion, but you still have the, the, you don't have the same uncontrollable emotion as you do right now. And that's like anything. It takes time and practice and takes repetition. So again, and it doesn't always become emotional, but pathos also sometimes is, is laughter. Sometimes it's just, it's an, it's an uptick in your voice. It's something that's positive and inspiring. It's, it's a change in how things are going. So pathos is critical. And so a lot of times people don't and are not aware of how they see or how they hear their voices. They don't realize that it's a flat line. And so one way to, to really assess this is to start recording yourself, audio and video, because you wanna see what facial expressions you make or don't make. You wanna see if you're smiling when you talk, if your eyes move, if they're open, if they're bright, if they, if they shut. You want to hear what your voice sounds like. If there's, if it's dynamic, if there's any sort of ups and downs, or if it's monotone, because you don't want that. So you do want to make sure that you are constantly recording yourself in some way, shape, or form. And so I tell people, record every presentation. If you're on Zoom and you're doing it, record it. It's free. Just click record. If you're on someone else's Zoom, request that you can. Hey, do you mind if I record on my my side? If they don't know how, they have to go click participants. Over participants, drop down more, allow to record, and there you got your recording. And so record everything you can because then you can analyze for your pathos and how you do that. And of course, logos. This goes back to we make decisions based on emotion, but we defend them logically. What that means is, is for the pathos to come up, it's, it, we, we get full of emotion and that emotion all those neurons, 35,000 times more neurons, push us towards a decision and we act on it. But after the process of homeostasis, we have to sort of regulate those emotions back. We're left with that, not that same level of emotion. We have to have logic to back up our decision. And this, this is where it gets a little tricky and a little dicey because we have to be able to justify that decision. And that's the job of the prefrontal lobe is to really assess what did we do here and does it make any sense? And is it in alignment with my values? And here's the funny part. If what I did while I was in an emotional state 
of maybe being persuaded is not in alignment with my values, then I have what's called cognitive dissonance. Dissonance is the, the disconnect between my behaviors and actions. Buyer's remorse. And so I, have a, I need a remedy. There's only one or two, there's two remedies. Either I change what I did or I change what I believe. And so if I change what I do, then I return the product. That's why they have a three-day right of rescission for most large ticket items, right? It's that yellow slip saying, hey, you have three days, you can return this item because they know that people make emotional decisions and then the emotion wears off and people go, what in the world did I do? And they got three days to let those emotions, that's neuroscience. But there's also, you watch people justify what they did and they'll go through all sorts of justifications to, to justify what it is that they did, even if it's not true. That's where it gets a little fascinating. And so again, ethos, pathos, logos, ethos, credibility, character, pathos, the emotional appeal, logos, the logic appeal. Your presentation, every time you speak, every time you persuade, you need to have all of those intact. You need to be asking yourself, is my logos in good, or my, my ethos in good standing with my audience? If I've been showing up late the last three weeks, your, log, your ethos is not in good standing. If you entering an office where you've got referral partners, and the last three deals that they sent you were denied, your ethos is not in good standing. You should fix that. And so you need to assess that. What are you doing to grow your ethos? Take a look at your social media. If you were to look at it with, with a critical eye and say, I don't know you, and what do these images say about me? And if, you don't, if they don't fit your brand, you might want to reconsider having those out or deleting them. And so... I tell people, invest in a great photographer. I use my guy, Dave Puente, he's amazing. Best decision ever made, right? Made me look amazing. And that's not an easy task. <laughs> I am not photogenic. But get, get a professional, somebody that really does a good job and can understand who you are and your story. And it's worth it to have the right imagery. Invest in, a vid in videography and somebody that can help you create a good video and a good storyline so that you can tell a good story. Invest in the virtual world. That's why I do everything through a teleprompter and a DSLR camera on Zoom. Ryan Grams and Call Upgrade. Like everything. This system right here is a touch of a button recorded so that it looks good. It sounds good. All of that contributes to my ethos. If this sounded like I was in a tin can, this podcast would be very, very different. Those are all part of ethos pieces. And then pathos. Spend time reflecting reflecting on what you believe, what your passions are, what your values are, stories you've been through, all of those elements. You have to spend time on what you believe. And then you have to spend time on reliving those stories and telling those stories so that you can actually deliver those stories with a sense of conviction. That's what pathos is. Of course, logos. You gotta have a business case. It's gotta make logical sense. You cannot have persuasion without all three of these elements. So let's talk about, and we'll finish up with the last two, what we call the forgotten two, Kairos and Telos. Kairos is around timeliness. It comes from the word chronos, chronology, but around timeliness. Timeliness is around this word zeitgeist or the era that we're in. Right now we're in a, we're, when, like I'll give you an example. When we were, when the pandemic hit and the NBA canceled, I as a speaker have to deliver speeches and have to have a speaker reel. 
And when all events were canceled, I my speaker reel showed me in front of stages and people and everybody delivering. And so when people wanted virtual events, my speaker reel was not timely because it showed big audiences and there were no audiences. And so I was out of tune with Kairos and I had to recreate a speaker reel with virtual events. And the challenge was there were no virtual events. And so we had to go through the process of doing a lot of virtual events, collecting content and recreating a speaker reel that was virtual. If you want to see my speaker reel, just go to meetrene.com and click on the virtual one. There's two of them side by side and you'll see what we did for virtual events. Now that we're back live, they're both relevant again. We had one person last month said, hey, my secretary called and she said, and I'm like, you're who? Like my secretary. I'm like, you're who? He's like, well, oh, my assistant. I'm like, yeah, that word not being used anymore. I made a mistake 15 years ago. I told the story about a, a plane crash I was in. We were on the ground and I said the, the, the stewardess came up and said, and somebody got upset because it's not a stewardess, it's a flight attendant. So these are words and, and, and the era has to do with semantics and the words that we're, that we're using right now. We have to, and you can't get caught up in whether what's right or wrong. You have to really think about from influence perspective, what words are going to distract my audience and get them off message? It's critical. Kairos is, is huge, especially in today's society. You can get caught up and self-righteous and trying to stay with what you what, what it is and, and hey, more power to you. But I think that right now for me, Influence is the most important element of this whole equation. And there's a lot of old language out there that needs to change. There's a lot of words I used as a kid that just, oh my God, they're not okay to be using anymore. And there's a lot of words right now that we just have progressed beyond. And good, we need to. Have we gone overboard, in my opinion? In some ways, yes. But that's part of the change process is we overcorrect and we try to go back and forth until we find that balance, until we find something. And will, will it always be in balance? No, that's part of the world. And enjoy the process, and I tell people, is just to do it with some compassion and do it with some grace. But remember, Kairos, pay attention to your audience. Pay attention to the words that we use. Look at where we're at. Look, draw stories from your, your, within your reach. If you can draw stories from things that are happening around you with your audience, paying attention and listening. I always like to listen to speakers that are go before me because I can draw from examples that they used into my talks and it becomes very timely. I like to talk to my clients and say, what's happening? What's going on? And before I go on stage, because I can bring that information to my talks and it makes me very in tune with Kairos of what's happening. One of my first talks when I learned this, I was talking to Liz Claiborne and I went and purchased a whole Liz Claiborne outfit and was giving my talk in a Liz Claiborne outfit. That was timely, right? It's just a, little details like that do make a difference. And then telos, which is quite literally end. It's your purpose. Where are you going with this talk? How are you ending? Where, what's the end goal, your, your influence objective? If you have lost sight of telos, you are rambling. So I tell people, it's easy to tell when you've lost sight of telos is because you're rambling. And so telos, you have to get clear of the purpose or what, what I call your influence objective. What are you trying to achieve as a result of this talk? And if you don't have an answer to that, you're just going to talk, cross your fingers and hope something good happens. That is not a professional way of approaching it. You be, I want you to be clear why you're doing this. 
Identify your influence objective. What action do you want people to take specifically? Is it a click? Is it a sign up? Is it a, uh, an email? Is it a conversation? What, what is it? What are they doing as a result of this? Try to be as crystal clear as you can with telos and for you to get clear. And sometimes your telos is just to, to spark a sense of curiosity for people to go and do something on their own. And, but be clear on what that something on their own means. Again, Kairos is around timeliness and being really, really in tune. And by the way, that requires self-awareness. When I think that was our second, I think second podcast on number one skill of leadership is self-awareness. You have to have a massive amount of self-awareness to really tune into Kairos and be open to what's happening in the world today and constantly stay in touch. Like, why do I do TikTok? I don't even know how many of the people in my audience follow me on TikTok, but I do it to stay in tune with what's going on, just to stay in touch. And guess what? I started learning some things. So anyways, Kairos is about timeliness, the zeitgeist, the era. Telos is the end. It's the purpose. All of those things, ethos, pathos, logos, Kairos, Telos, are all the elements by which I judge and critique presentations and influence talks. So as leaders, if you can achieve credibility, if you can achieve an emotional connection that makes logical sense, is timely and has a clear purpose, it pretty much is the perfect presentation. And most people will buy into what it is that you're going towards. That's sort of the, the goal of what you're trying to achieve. So I'll stop there. And uh, again, you, I go also in much more detail in the book, Amplify Your Influence, which you can buy on Amazon. We actually kind of cool last week. We reached number one in new releases under business communications in uh, Amazon, uh, which was kind of cool because we haven't even <laughs> printed yet. So all in pre-sales. And I would urge you, please, if you can, purchase the book uh, on Amazon. Look for Amplify Your Influence, Renee Rodriguez. And we've got AmpCon, the Amplify Conference, coming on uh, March 14th at Caesars Palace. Gosh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some really, really exciting people who are going to be coming there. Please, we got limited seating, so if you are interested, use code Renee100. That will work. Early bird special is going to be ending soon, so right now it's $5.95 minus early bird $4.95, Renee100 to $3.95. So thank you for following. Please like and subscribe. Share this with everybody you know, and we will see you next week. Take care. Thank you for sharing this time with us. If the experience resonated with you, Follow us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or AmplifyMyLife.com. Share it with anyone else who's ready to amplify their lives. And remember to let our hearts speak in sequence. For more from Renee Rodriguez, visit MeetRenee.com.